been through that already. So it's a little, little bit easier of a transition. And then, you know, yesterday when I'm, you know, watching the ASU game, when they beat Southern Utah, I'm sure we'll get to some scores here in a second. But, you know, it's a little, little easier to come by recognizing guys. And I'm sure once I, you know, watch Oregon State a few times, it'll be good. But I'm, I'm really excited for tomorrow. It's going to be, it's oh, going to be good. Know. It's going to be, it's an important game. For both both sides, I mean, man, I, I didn't even realize how big big this is for Purdue and Jeff it, Brown. It's a little bit bigger. It's a little bit bigger. I think Jonathan Smith has plenty of time, and the, the, I I think despite two and five, um, a, an upward trajectory. I personally believe what I've seen and what's coming back that this will be a bowl team. I I, I do believe in six wins this year. I really do, and maybe even better than that. If the Beavers win tomorrow, I, I think that sets up nicely for them. And barring injury, now that's the one problem. Isaac Hodgins being out, that was a That'll that be was big. a big hit because the Beavers are thin on the defensive front anyway. But when he he was out, and it, it'll be a while for Isaac Hodgins. Um, and it just shows how important that transition for Thomas Seo is to the defensive line as well. Uh, very bit, very much so. They like what he's been doing, but it's a transition nonetheless. And then they, you know that any any loss affects your depth chart and who moves where. But we've heard a lot and seen a lot out at practice. You probably more than myself. I I know you have because I've only been to about three or four practices. And you've seen a lot of things, and and it gets to be routine. It's hard to see unless you were up real high on what certain guys are doing. But whenever I go, I, I keep an eye on the quarterbacks and the running backs and the receivers. Occasionally, if I'm looking now at the defense, I'll see, okay, what are the secondary uh, doing when the pass comes their way? Um, it's just hard to tell on how good a team is based on them playing each other. I don't think you can, really. Um, yeah, I don't think so. Until you play someone else. But you can see the individuals. And I, I think this is a really fast team. That was one thing that kind of stood out. Now, maybe it's because I'm slow old guy <laughs> and seeing them up close for a while. Because remember last year, we no fans in the stands. And, and we were up in the press box. We didn't even get close to any of the action. And then TV doesn't do justice to the actual speed of the game. So really, when I went out to practice uh, about a month ago, first time seeing these guys up close where they're running right in front of you and at full speed and it was uh, quite eye-opening but I, I do think that they're a quick team this year and for those three groups you mentioned it's not just quick deep as well on yeah. all sides I mean, we're I don't think there's one you know we, we've seen Sam Neuer name the starter and you know he will be under center for the first snaps on Saturday but you know it's he he's not guaranteed the job the whole season True, but I'm not worried about him because here's a guy who was second-team all-conference last year, mm -hmm. an experienced quarterback with another Pac-12 team yeah. with this whole new transfer portal and then being able to transfer right away without sitting out, him being a, you know, a graduate student and all of that. Um, he's just, I don't worry about the nerves, being in front of the Purdue crowd, none of that. And I wouldn't have worried so much either with um, Tristan Jebbia or Chance Nolan because Jebbia was his very first start. Tristan Jebbia's very first start seemed like a long time ago, but it wasn't. Was the year prior in the Civil War game, the, the, the game between the two schools at the end of the year. And he got called to duty when Jake Luton was out 
Uh, and in fact, Jake, they didn't know that Jebbia would start until minutes before kickoff. And he did a pretty good job. Plus, it was freezing cold, not easy to hold a football. And, and here this freshman comes in and does a great job. Only lost by 14, I think, from what I remember. Yeah, it was 24-10, I think. It was, uh, yeah, exactly. And he did a tremendous job. That was job. after uh, ASU knocked at Oregon out of the playoff. See, now, that I don't remember, but you would as an, I, as an I ASU I was calling alum. that game. Uh, for student radio down in ASU. Yeah, yeah. That was, <laughs> that was bucket list. That was great. Yeah, it's interesting. It's fun, it's fun too, to have you from ASU growing up in Washington being a Husky guy. Uh, Not even. Two, we, we never watched the Huskies. Really? We weren't we were in a college football household. I, I, I didn't even like college football until I got to college, and then I kind of had to catch up. Really? 18 years worth of catch up. Yeah. We were all, all pro sports, pretty much. So just the Seahawks and the Mariners and, and – yeah, it was Seahawks, Mariners, Sonics were big, obviously, until they left. Yeah. So or, or when when did they how old were you when the Sonics left town? Uh I was nine, I think. <laughs> so you have some memories of A little Sonics. bit. I, I remember going to see Katie as a rookie. Yeah, well That he, was pretty cool. He could have been a Portland Trailblazer. <laughs> he could have, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I don't think Greg Oden Greg Oden was the wrong pick, but now I don't he's just necessarily hurt. either. It was just bad luck and the Blazers have bad luck with picks. Uh, and all of that. Anyway, let's give you the lay of the land for today's show. It's it's um, it's always fun to be able to sit in and bring in guys uh, with Josh and now TJ. Um, we have a good show for you today in the respect of who we have lined up. Coming up at 11.30, Tim Newton. I just communicated with Tim a moment ago. He gave me a new phone line, so it's going to be in his office. So that's going to be good. Tim Newton is the, uh, the voice, longtime voice, of... Purdue, not that long though, really. He's been working with Purdue since 1990 as the women's basketball voice and producer, pregame, halftime, postgame show host, kind of the Ron Callen. He's basically been the Ron Callen for Purdue since 1990. But a few years ago, and I have it on my notes somewhere, he was asked to take over as the football play-by-play guy, and he still does the other stuff. Not the producing, but he still does the women's basketball. And in 2010 is when he became the voice of Purdue University. Uh, really cool guy, and I really look forward to that conversation coming up at 11.30. After that, at 12.05, our own Tim Ewis is going to join us. We haven't had Tim on the show yet this year, and he's a go-to guy. We can go to Tim for a number of things, and he's also a longtime sponsor. I don't know if he is this year. I'm going to have to get on him for that. But uh, as a local Edward Jones uh, um, affiliate here in Corvallis, I should say in Corvallis because we're sitting here in Albany, but uh, <laughs> we, you know, we always want to give him a plug there. But Tim is very well versed in Oregon high state of Oregon high school football growing up in church uh, in Eugene going to Churchill always wanting to be a beaver on that beaver team that went to the uh, uh, the Fiesta Bowl and then of course some some tight end work uh, in the NFL for a number of years one of which was for my favorite team the Arizona Cardinals and he was um, drafted and taken by Buffalo he drafted or free agent? I can't remember. But he played for a number of years in Buffalo uh, and Pittsburgh and then Arizona and then came back home and has been, uh, you know, a local member of uh, our community here with uh, his wife and kids growing up and going to school. Most recently ran for school board. And he's just a great guy. But he can speak to high school sports and 
the Beavers from a guy who played in the NFL. We always love to to defer to uh, to Tim Ewis on a number of things, and t- today's a perfect time for it because we debut high school football tonight and the Beavers tomorrow, so there's plenty to talk about. Speaking of debuting high school football tonight, this will be the first time in two years. I know mm-hmm. they played a kind of a truncated spring schedule, and, and I, I'd be curious to know from the coaches what that was like. Yeah, and one of the, the storylines really is how are the kids going to – you know, handle this transition playing in the spring and playing in the fall. They, this doesn't, the pros don't do that. Grown men don't do that. Right. And these are where you're asking high schoolers to play five games in the spring and then come back and play a full schedule in the fall. And you're going to wonder about health. You got to wonder about summer programs. You know, what about coaching changes? You let coaches go at the end of that spring season that yep. you don't like their performance and you can't get the new guy in until the middle of the summer and you've missed all that time depending on how well, long it takes. In our backyard, Crescent Valley had a late coaching change because of an opportunity for a coach, not because of being let go, an opportunity to uh, to coach somewhere else. And so a new guy comes in, although if I remember correctly, he was already on the staff, so not a harsh change there uh, to take over at Crescent Valley. So a little bit of that. Um, you're, you're right about that. And then the idea of playing football, uh, for a lot of these schools, so they close sh- to the time that they played, and also for a lot of these schools, just struggling to get enough bodies to play. Which I heard, I haven't had a chance. I mean, this one's on you for for calling play by play. But my buddies in Portland, when I went to my fantasy draft last week, and and I work with this one guy, calling high school games for the better part of twenty years, they were saying that South Eugene doesn't have a team. Yeah, I saw that. South Eugene does not up. have a team. And What's the? I can't remember. They're the... one of the biggest high schools in the in the state. I know they're five A. South Eugene, or are they six A? One of the biggest high schools in Eugene, of course. And Eugene has more than one, obviously. But South Eugene not having a team. I, I got to. Th- I'm hoping that's because of COVID. Mm-hmm. Because it if it's be. if it's lack of interest, that's a scary, scary sight right there just more and more data is coming out on just the health of you know kids putting kids through tackle football i know at a pre-18 year old age i know and i don't like that trend because you know there was a lot of first there was the movie then there was uh, a a lot of talk just a lot of talk these last mm, seven or eight years downplaying and saying how dangerous it is and the testing and and um, you know testing the the brains of NFL players who've committed suicide or died died from what is it CR what is CTE uh, CTE sorry about that I I'm just thinking uh, I remember seven eight years ago thinking I don't like the trend of the narrative on this because yet yeah, that will get to the moms they're in control of everything and if mom doesn't want little Jimmy to play football then there's no feeder into the high school and there's no feeder into colleges. I know football reigns supreme financially in terms of overall programs and generating revenue for, you know, schools and professional teams. But and you could look at it, if you look at it on an individual like future financial level as well. Yeah. Of the major sports, you know, why, why not go play in the NBA or give yourself a chance? There are less players to 
playing the NBA. Obviously, salaries are much higher in both ma- Major League Baseball is a whole different story, I think. But uh, I'm just, I guess, well, I'm just making the the basketball example there. The but, NBA, N- N- NBA, you can make a jump straight to the NBA at a high school because the bodies aren't smashing into each other. Correct. The male body is not fully, fully developed until age 26. Yeah. So it's even a stretch for an 18-year-old to go up against a 22-year-old senior in some cases. It's better if you redshirt an entire class when they come in so they have that extra year for their bodies to start to fill out, plus the weightlifting and all that, and then the collisions start. Yeah. Um, Just from a father's point of view of what football does to the body, because I played it in high school, and I know Tim all the way to the top level, and a lot of guys who played all the way through pros, and I hear them on Fox Sports, they say, well, we, I did it, but I don't know if I want my kids to do it. That's not a good trend. It just it deteriorates you over time. I now, mean, hopefully, by the time you retire, you know, yeah. some things just don't function anymore. But I also read a study and saw a study that there were no problems, no problems, CTE-wise, with any kids in this one um, Ohio town who played football, only high school football, from the 1960s or 70s, and they're now all elderly or close to it, and no CTE problems for just high school football. And problems then start to show up after that, college football and certainly pro football, because your lifetime plus the collisions and the body Everything sizes. gets faster. Yeah, faster, bigger, faster, stronger. So there's a load of games tonight. On the high school front, we don't have any interviews for players or coaches or anything, but we do have a game for you tonight. TJ will make his debut with Corvallis and Sprague at Corvallis High School. That should be a good showdown. Sprague and yeah, Corvallis were longtime, I wouldn't say rivals, but but in the Valley League. Mm-hmm. And that was when Corvallis was up at the highest level of Oregon football. And, of course, Corvallis and Crescent Valley coming down to 5A once they went to six divisions. Yeah, two teams that are, like, you know, pretty exciting. Especially, I mean, I could just start off at Sprague. They kind of struggled in both 2019 and 2018. They only won two games apiece there. But they had a really good spring season. They went 5-1. and one. They had the worst scoring defense, um, I believe, in the state. Uh, allowed over 42 points a game uh, in 2019. And they dropped that all the way down into the – uh, under 20 points a game during the spring, a yeah. massive improvement. Uh, and then Corvallis, Corvallis is returning a lot of guys on their roster, and Scorebook Live has has them as one of the teams to look out for here in 5A. Yeah, it's it's going to be fun, and it'll be fun. I'll be back in here for the pregame show, and again, we we haven't done this for two solid years. It seems might like, have to shake off some rust. Yeah, it seems like it went by quickly, but in other cases, it's uh, aspects. It seems like it took forever. Beaverton is here in town at West Albany now. Of course, Sam Neuer from Beaverton High School. Uh, Sprague, by the way, Beaver fan, you know Bill Swancut went to Sprague. In fact, when I first moved here in 1999, I think Swanee was a senior in high school, and. One of the two schools, Corvallis or Crescent Valley, went up there and played at Sprague, just uh, just a few miles up the road in Salem. And I remember seeing Bill Swancutt as a senior at Sprague saying, this guy, he was one of those guys when you go to a game and you say to your buddy or anybody you're with, Who, who's that guy? 
because they stand out so much. He was so much bigger, faster, and stronger than everybody else on the football field. And that translated into being a starter his freshman year at Oregon State and some time with the Detroit Lions eventually in the pros. But uh, Bill Swancutt was was just a beast. He was so fun to watch. He went to Sprague High School. So Sprague and Corvallis tonight. South Albany is at Franklin. Crescent Valley, it says here in the paper, at Lincoln. And in parentheses, Ida B. Wells High School. Now, I didn't know that Lincoln was... I don't think Lincoln High School changed its name. A couple of Portland area high school changed their names. Madison did, I know. Their mascots? Just the name of the school, you know, getting away from... Honestly, I don't know the whole reason why. They, they changed the names of the schools. Not to Bishop Sycamore. But not to Bishop Sycamore. <laughs> By the way, most of their um, schedule, the teams that are playing, are dropping out. Dropping, yeah, I saw that. They well, now that you that. know that it's a scam, why would you play them? <laughs> yeah, right, right. Exactly. <laughs> they fired the coach. Okay, you uh, fired the coach. Who fired the coach? Did he that's fire like himself? firing the captain of the ship that's currently sinking. <laughs> and it's like, where is that going? Maris Catholic at Sweet Home tonight. Philomath at Valley Catholic. That's up in Beaverton. Sio at Jefferson, Harrisburg at Crestwell, Amity at Sanium Christian was last night. Uh, Sanium Christian won that game 20-16. to 16. And uh, Central Lynn at Nestucca and Reedsport at Monroe. Those are area teams that are playing tonight. And on the morning show, I was asking aloud, um, someone had said that Sanium Christian and Amity played last night. And I'm like, well, it's not in the paper. It's not anywhere. And, and why, why is that? And a friend of mine who works with Sandy M. Christian said probably because of the lack of uh, of officials. We have a lack of officials in the state of Oregon, which is a problem before pandemic low staffing. Right now, restaurants are closing. uh, Businesses are really struggling because there's not enough people to fill those jobs. By the way, eventually there will be because a lot of the government money stops as of tomorrow. Um, So... People who are just enjoying the free ride that, or the, the, the enhanced ride, that's going to end. And so there's going to be a lot more people in the workforce. But because one of the stories in the news today was that Corvallis and Greater Albany Public Schools don't have enough bus drivers. Hmm. Well, that goes back to there aren't enough officials. And we've been running that public service announcement for years that, look, they need more officials. So I think that How last are night's game— paid here in the state? Um, well, it's it. You do it for the love of the game, you know. Maybe I don't know. I have no idea. Hundred bucks, fifty bucks a game, whatever it is. You're doing it for the love of the game, not for for money. Oh, obviously. But um, um, I think they had to do that because the same officials that would work last night's game will work tomorrow uh, tonight. Yeah. And they have to double up. In fact, I heard a couple of years ago when there was no pandemic and there was regular Friday night football, that they had already started that a couple of years ago because of low numbers. And so the, the numbers are still low. You can still become an official. Uh, if you're interested, let me know, and we'll get you some information on who you can call to do that. But they're having a problem with not enough officials, just as the rest of society is having a problem with not enough uh, people to work okay we uh we talked a little long we've got so much to get to too that we want to talk about if there's time i came across um, some odds for every power five school 
in the country on a number of things. And it's kind of interesting to go through the Pac-12 conference to see what this particular uh, betting outfit thinks of the teams and what their odds are. And so we can go through that. And you did a piece on uh, a bit on the coaching carousel. 17 coaches? Seven, the 2017 co- post-2017 coaching yeah. carousel focused on the Pac-12. Which is uh, pretty interesting when you connect all the is, all the strings. Yeah, it's, it's 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 deep. Yeah. Anyway, we'll we'll uh, we'll do that. Let's uh, take our first break, and when we come back, Tim Newton will join us. We'll talk some Purdue, Oregon State, with the play-by-play voice of the Purdue Boilermakers, Tim Newton, and uh, see what he can tell us about. Uh, what's going on on their side? I say I see a tweet from uh, Oregon uh, Oregon Live's Nick Dashel. He tweeted two hours ago. I don't know when he got there. Out for a walk in West Lafayette this morning and ran into a familiar vehicle. It's the Beaver semi truck. And boy, you know, if I ever retire and I just want to do something for fun, I'd love to be the driver of that truck because yeah, they be drive. Cool. Those... It's like the ESPN game day truck. Yeah, you have to take, and every college has them, the semi that's filled with all your equipment, and they drive. I'll see, it probably left on to what, wherever Wednesday? the game has. Yeah, yeah, because he tweeted a, a, a. Oh, wait, no, today's Friday. A they shot of left the, on the truck Tuesday, before it left. Yeah. All right, let's take a break. We'll come back. And again, phone lines are open when we're not doing interviews. So we've just got the one interview here in, the, here in this hour when we're done talking with Tim Newton. Fire away, especially on the University Honda text line and the Downward Dog phone line. Same number, 541-497-5356. I'm John Warren, along with TJ Mathewson, and we'll be back with Tim Newton. The Lyrica Networks always goes the extra mile. Give us a call or find out more at Alyrica.net. Corvallis High School football is back on KEJO. Catch the game of the week every Friday night with coverage starting 30 minutes before kickoff. High School Football on 1240 Joe Radio is presented by your local Les Schwab Tire Center, Lynn Benton Tractor, and Philomath Rental. Be there this Friday, September 3rd at 6.30 p.m. for pregame and 7 for kickoff as Corvallis takes on Sprague. Only on 1240 Joe Radio. All right, good job, TJ, with the... uh with the program there, the uh, the promos that we've been running. And I know this is kind of new for you, isn't it? You really didn't – did you do a lot of this stuff in, in college? Uh, a little bit. You know, it's – I did a lot of audio editing, so it's just, you know, instead of just me Well, talk, I'm thinking just, of the creative part of it. Yeah, I mean, there there is a little room to think about it. I was never in charge of that, but there's always, like, things you think of. My friend Josh Schaefer, who works with the Ontario Reign of the – AHL right now he he did a lot of my senior year he did a lot of the football promos for the student radio station he did a phenomenal job and just listening to those you get a really good idea of what a creative promo should be like and then obviously getting to listen to all the ones of the station you, you get a solid I love, idea I love I love teaching I love teaching you all the all the ropes we bring in Tim Newton who could teach me a thing or two uh, the play-by-play voice and a number of other positions with the Purdue Boilermakers and Learfield. Tim, how you doing this afternoon? I'm doing fine. How are you today? Doing well. I don't know. Have you had to work with the youth of today? I mean, my partner here, because your counterpart is on his way to where you are, is uh, he's green, wet behind the ears, out of straight out of college. 
Well, actually, I've worked at the university now for 32 years, so I'm surrounded by 47,000 of my closest young friends. So, yes, yeah. I, I've worked with youth extensively, and they're fine. They are. <laughs> they're doing just fine. <laughs> they're doing just fine. They really are. TJ's doing a great job for us, and you mentioned 32 years uh, on the campus. I've been here for 20-some years and in the business for over 30, and isn't it odd when you're working on a college campus, Tim, that the kids, they never get older. We, we just keep aging, but they don't. It's a weird thing. It, 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 yeah. It, if anything, it's actually reverse uh, aging for them. It seems like they've gone from college-age kids to about 12-year-olds <laughs> that we're bringing in. But, but there's, an, there's an unbelievable energy when you work on a college campus that really keeps you young and vital, or at least it, it should. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, last year was such a difficult year. And, in fact, last year, most of us here at the campus worked from home. So we've, we've only been back in our offices now for about a month, and, and it's, it's nice to be back and get back into a routine. And, thankfully, that routine now involves college football, again, with fans in the stands. Were you able to do basketball games, women's basketball games, on uh, courtside? Because we did that here, but we had to do TV monitors for road games. Same thing. Uh, we did. We were not in our normal broadcast locations at home. Usually we're right by the bench, and they actually put us up uh, in the concourse, which was fine. Uh, uh, but the, the road games, we did the same thing. And, you know, those, those remote broadcasts were okay except a couple of times. At least in my situation, I had the, the uh, pictures freeze. Mm. So you'd, you'd be right in the middle of calling a play, and all of a sudden, your your picture freezes. And, <laughs> uh, that's when you go into your Ronald Reagan mode of yes. recreating. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> and I, I had that happen to Mike. Does football and ba- uh, basketball and baseball, but I would fill in for him on baseball, and I had that happen on baseball early when the Beavers were gone for the first, like, two and a half, three weeks of the baseball season because of the weather. Then when they came home to do the very the very first home game, I'm there, and it was like, I can see everything. It was my, you know. I can describe my... every leaf exactly. falling Exactly. It was so <laughs> nice. Anyway, Tim Newton, voice, longtime voice of Purdue University. Tim, we had um, a lot on Purdue this week. It's been all Purdue, it seems, and, and some Beaver stuff because – in 67, the Giant Killers, known here as the Giant Killers, and it was the one team in 67 that Oregon State has has been or was able to basically have it be all the great memories. And it was just the, it was the one thing to hang on to for Beaver fan because of the 29-year losing streak or streak of losing seasons when Dennis Erickson came in and broke that. Then, okay, now there's something new to talk about. And then the Fiesta Bowl year, finishing third in the country, then that really became something. Now, the, the Giant Killers are never going to go away, but it was nice to have something else to talk about. Unfortunately, it was against your Purdue Boilermakers in 1967 that kind of got things started before UCLA and then USC and O.J. Simpson. Yeah, you go back, and, I, and I've talked this week to several people who've been around you here even longer than I have, and some people that were at that game. In fact, there's a guy, actually, that's our statistician on our crew who was a seven-year-old attending that game, and he said he still remembers the way he felt on the way home. Because remember, that was a Purdue team that the week before had gone into Columbus and had shellacked Ohio State 
41 to 6. That game was 35 to nothing at halftime, mm. and Purdue actually pulled its starters in the second half. So they were flying high, number two in the country. They had aspirations of a national championship because, remember, in those days they knew they would not be able to go to the Rose Bowl because they had gone the year before. Mm -hmm. So the best you can do is go through your regular season undefeated and win the championship. Well, uh, Oregon State put an end to that. Then they lost another game at the end to Indiana in a in a 1914 game. But you have a feeling that maybe if that Oregon State game is a different uh, outcome that Purdue's playing for that national championship the last week. It might have been a different uh, a, a different ending, but yeah, there there's still uh, a lot of bad memories of your giant killers and and the way that they dominated. You know, the, you remember Earthquake Enyart, who was a, yeah. a huge running back for for the Beavers, and uh, Purdue could never stop him, and and they just couldn't get the ball back when they needed to in the in the game. You know, last thing on this, and you know, I I don't know if you you know certain things, I'll tell you, but if not, there may be some nuggets for your broadcast. But Jimmy Kirkpatrick, who was a, a star on that team, and and friends, and 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 backfield mates with Leroy Keys. He ended up coming out to Oregon after his time at Purdue, got two degrees at Oregon State, his bachelor's, because he didn't get it, he didn't finish at Purdue, and a master's out here, and has stayed. And uh, uh, we had him on, and he has a tremendous story that has all kinds of connections. And our own Steve Priest, who was the quarterback on that giant killer team, played in Philadelphia with Keys. Um for a time, and they were both uh, safeties. They had been switched to safeties because of injury and and circumstances. So there's a lot of connections in and and it's just wild. In fact, we're going to talk with Lee Jamison from that team, that Oregon State team, coming up later on here on the program today. But one other note for for your broadcast in that game. The Beavers scored a touchdown to take the lead, and then there was still a couple of minutes left for Purdue to come back and score and win triumphantly. But there was miscommunication from the sideline, DeAndros, the great pumpkin DeAndros, to the kicker, who was a straight-on toe kicker, and he kept saying, don't, don't kick it to that guy. And he's like, huh? Trying to listen and said, what are you talking? And he couldn't hear him, so the ref said, you got to kick the ball, son. So he whiffed it. And it ended up being an onside kick, essentially, that Oregon State recovered. And as the story goes in the postgame, uh, the Purdue media said, well, well Coach, you know, that's kind of unusual to kick a an onside kick in that that uh, scenario, and he just smiled and said, "Well, that's good coaching." <laughs> and that's how that, that story goes. <clears throat> that that is a great story, and and uh, you know that was also a game. Speaking of of, of of special teams play, if you remember, that was a game where Purdue's punter, uh, without instruction from the sideline, ran a fake punt uh, late in the first half, and he didn't make it. It was fourth and long, and. He thought he would try to do it on his own. He didn't. Oregon State scored right before halftime. And my understanding is that Jack Mollenkoff had to actually be restrained in mm. the locker room uh, from uh, from from having at that player because he was so angry with him wow. at that point. Wow. Are you surprised that in all these years there's only been the one game between the two schools? Yeah, a little bit because you know Purdue has had some matchups with other Pac-12 and other Power Five conferences. So yeah, it, it does seem a little bit strange that that uh, 
It's been 50-plus years. Happy that we get the opportunity to return the trip back in Corvallis in 2024. But, uh, yeah, I am a little bit surprised that, that we haven't seen Oregon State on the schedule earlier than this. Tim, uh, for, at least from what we can tell here in Oregon, there seems to be a lot of pressure on Jeff Brom in this game. I mean, after he beats Ohio State in 2018, he's one of the hottest coaches in the country. And it seems like that narrative has changed quite a bit in the three years after that. And it just seems like there is a lot of pressure, and this might be his most important game as a coach uh, of coming here tomorrow. Uh, do you see the same way? Is it seen the same way there in West Lafayette? Yeah, there's there's no question that this is a huge game. And I, I've been asked by a lot of people if this is a must-win uh, and, and I hate to use a cliche, but I'll use one anyway. The, to me, the last true must-win was the United States in World War II. Yeah. Um, you know, these are football games. But in terms of importance in your program, yeah, this one's right up there. Um, you, you mentioned that 2018 game against Ohio State where, you know, national TV audience and, and pretty not just doesn't just beat Ohio State, really demolishes Ohio State. Um, since then, though, the, 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 everything's gone south. Uh they, they wound up with a lopsided loss in 2018 in the bowl game to Auburn when they gave up 63 points. 2019 was a complete washout in terms of injuries. They were absolutely devastated by injuries that year and went 4-8. and eight. And then last year, after winning the first two games, they lost their last four. They had three games canceled due to COVID. So you're coming off a season where you finished with four straight losses in your third straight losing year. And, yeah, the, the narrative... Uh, the Purdue fans are looking for the narrative and the momentum to change. And I think these first two games, the home game against Oregon State and the game next week at Connecticut, are really, really important games for Purdue in terms of getting the fans' interest back, in terms of getting things back in a positive direction, and just getting the confidence that this program needs to have moving forward. Yeah, I'm looking at the rest of the schedule here. It is tough. This is a tough schedule for Purdue. You have at Notre Dame versus Minnesota, at Iowa versus Wisconsin, at Ohio State, finish up against Indiana, also a trip to Northwestern. So if they lose this game, do you think the optimism kind of starts leaking out on Jeff Brom? Yeah, I I think a loss tomorrow night is going to be pretty – I wouldn't say devastating, maybe too strong a word, but it's going to be certainly, uh, it'll be, it's hard to see this team getting to six wins this year, which certainly is the, is the bare bottom goal. You want to get back to a bowl game. Uh, you look at the math there and it's hard to start seeing six wins if you don't pick up two in the first two weeks. So yeah, I, I do think that this is a really, really crucial game tomorrow in terms of this season and, and, you know, maybe the near future. Tim Newton, play-by-play voice of Purdue University, joining us here on the uh, Joe Beaver Show. Uh, for just a few more questions, a few more minutes, uh, really appreciate your time today. What does Beaver fan have to know about Jack Plummer? I know it was a race, but was it, did he, did he, was it clear-cut in the end, or could it go either way? Or are, you, are you in a situation, you being Purdue, in a situation of if something doesn't go well, he'll get an early hook? Yeah, uh, Jack Plummer's going to be the starter, and, and he won't get pulled after the first series. Uh, he's, I would say that's not written in stone for the entire season. Jack is the guy right now, and they're hoping that he takes the reins and that he is the starting quarterback for the entire season. That's the hope right now. 
Um, but I can tell you that if he certainly if he were to get hurt or if they're they're not getting effective play out of the offense, Jeff won't hesitate to go to a second quarterback, and he's done that in really the first four years he's been here. The big difference, I think, with Plummer as opposed to Aiden O'Connell, who actually was the starting quarterback last year, is his mobility. Mm. Um, Aiden's got a little bit stronger arm. Jack has a good arm. Now, I wouldn't say a great arm, but he's got a good enough arm. But he can make plays when the, when plays break down. He can make something out of nothing. And I think that um, that's something that they, they, they need right now in the offense to give them a different dimension. So you'll see, certainly you'll see Jack Plummer. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me at some point if you might see uh, not necessarily Aiden O'Connell, but you could see Austin Burton at some point, who's a UCLA transfer. Mm-hmm. I know they wanted to try to work him in some last year, and whether they put some different packages in for him or not, we'll wait and see. But they feel like Austin, who came last year, as, a, as I mentioned, as a transfer, has a much better grasp of the offense this year than he did last year. And uh, I, I think they would like to get him on the field, whether it's tomorrow or later in the season. I, I do think we'll see Austin Burton on the field at times this season. And one thing I, I think I heard somewhere, his only start in college football was against Oregon State a couple of years at UCLA. Yeah, he had, I think, one start. And, and yes, he, he was uh, – and, and he's a great athlete, probably even a better runner than, than Jack is. And he's got great genes, you know, his – his dad and his grandfather were tremendous athletes, and his sister actually is an all-Big Ten basketball player at Northwestern. So uh, the Burton family genes are pretty deep, and, and he's, he's got some great athletic ability. A lot of talk here in Corvallis uh, and around the Oregon State program is the continuity and age and experience of this offensive line and confidence in its ability to be one of the best in the Pac-12, but Purdue counters with one of the best pass rushers in the country and one of the top prospects in next next year's NFL draft. I believe a consensus top 20 pick as of right now, George Karloftis. Um, Tim, what had, I know he was injured last year. I, I assume he's full go and full healthy to, to play uh, tomorrow. He is full go, and, and George Karloftis, I think, is poised to have a monster season in 2021 and poised himself to be a, become a very rich man come next April. Wow. A great story with him. George, his, uh, give you a quick background. George, is actually, he was actually born in Greece. Uh, his father met his mom, who is a Purdue graduate. Actually, they were both Purdue graduates. Mom was from West Lafayette. Uh, the father played college football at the University of Miami but suffered a severe concussion when he was a player and, and gave up the sport and, in fact, vowed that his kids would never play football. Mm. So they, they moved. They, 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 he, he and his wife go to Greece. They have their kids. And when he was in his late 30s, he, he suddenly he dropped dead of a heart attack. Oh. And so the family decided to move back to the United States because, again, his mom had family here in West Lafayette. So he goes to West Lafayette High School, and all of a sudden his buddies see how big he is, and they say, well, George, why don't you try football? And finally he was able to talk his mom into letting him play, and, you know, the rest is history. And you've just seen an incredible growth in him. Uh, He's a physical specimen, incredibly strong. His younger brother is now a linebacker here. He may play some in special teams, but I think we'll get on the field. But 
George is he's he's heavily into martial arts, which has helped his footwork and his quickness. And I don't think there's any question he's going to be a first round draft pick if he stays healthy this year. And he will be a handful for uh, for the Beavers and I think for all of their opponents this year. I do not like to hear that, Tim. Everything was going well <laughs> until you told that story. Oh, and I saw him on one of the YouTubes. They do Purdue does a good job of putting practice stuff up, and I just saw him being interviewed so only could see his size and everything uh and he looks like a a great one okay last question thank you so much for your time um being the having such a a low number poor run rushing game recently for purdue do you think that they're they'll put emphasis on it to try to say we can do this but then in the first sign of trouble just go right back to the air you know, I think Jeff Brown would love to have a more balanced attack just because it sets up the pass a little bit more. You know, I, I will tell you we're never going to go into a Wisconsin mode where you run the ball 75% of the time. Mm. That's, that's not Jeff's DNA. He, he was a former quarterback at both a professional and college level, and he loves to throw the football. I do think they have to get more productive in their running game. And whether that means, you know, are, are you going to get your running game between the tackles? Or are you going to use your wideouts and jet sweeps? Probably a little bit of both of those. But I, I think one of the keys this year at times will be, will Jeff stay patient enough with the run if it's not working early? And I'll tell you, we saw it last year in the opening game. I don't know if you remember that Jeff actually missed that game because he yeah. tested positive for COVID. His brother, Brian, who's the offensive coordinator here, called the game, and I thought Brian did a great job staying with the run against Iowa, and in the third and fourth quarter, it paid off. Mm. Purdue came back and won that game at the end. So, uh, you know, with a guy like Xander Horvath, who's who's a, uh, a really tough running back and gets better as the game goes on, I think you have to stick with that and have some patience with that running game. Well, that's uh, it's it's going to be a great game. I think there's so many so many similarities between the two programs not right now, not just the teams and the game itself. And there's there's a lot of uh, a lot of back and forth. We'll see you guys. I don't remember what year it is, but you'll be coming out here for a home and home. Um, Actually, I looked at it is uh, 2024, so three seasons from now. Great. Well, we'll look forward to that and say hi to Mike for us in the booth tomorrow. And really appreciate your time, Tim. Uh, thank you for, for taking time with us and uh, good stories that you had. Not a problem. We'll try to keep the rain away, but I can't promise that. It looks like it's about 50-50 right now for game time. Oh, that's interesting. That's a new take. Very new take. All right. Great stuff. Thanks again, Tim. Thanks, Tim. Thank you. All right. Tim Newton joining us here from the uh, uh, from P- Purdue University, West Lafayette, uh, Indiana, great guy. I watched his coach's show on uh, Facebook Live, and they he works. You know, they have the Learfield set up. They they do everything just like we do, and it uh, it was good. It was good. I, I actually remember Brom when he was in college. I I feel really old <laughs> because now he's he's been coaching for quite some time. We need to take a break. We'll come back. Open phone lines. Uh, University Honda text line. The Downward Dog phone line. 541-497-5356. We'll read some texts if we get them and uh, have a bunch of other stuff. Tim Ewis joining us at 12.05, coming up in about 15 minutes, to start our number two here on 1240 Joe Radio. That was fun. That was a good good time with uh, Tim Newton, uh, play-by-play voice, and other things. You were looking at his uh, 
responsibilities. He still is the voice of women's basketball since 1990. No, I closed it here. Oh, that's, oh, that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. I know he was in charge of a number of things, administrative type things. Yeah, and the, I think the School of Management, I think. Yeah, yeah. So busy guy and been around for, like he said, over 32 years, been around for a long time and seen a lot of Purdue football. It's um, it's uh, game time tomorrow night is uh, or tomorrow is four o'clock. It'll be a night game for them. But here's here's the thing. There's been some talk about, especially here in the conference, when Oregon State and Washington State seem to be, and are in many cases, at least under Larry Scott's leadership, would get kind of hosed by the the TVs. Saying, okay, you guys play at night. You play at night. The two lowest straws, I yeah, think. Yeah, you play at night. You play at night. On the road. You Well, we were just on the road at night. You kill. Do it again. 8 p.m. kickoff again. Yeah. So now this one's an outlier, Hawaii, whatever it is, for 8 p.m. this next week. But it just seemed like every week the Beavers were stuck at night. And um, um, I forgot what my point was going to be. What was I talking about? I don't know. I but I don't. A, I, would you rather have a 9 a.m. kickoff? Being on the West Coast, I think, does not help because no. the West Coast always gets the later slots because they, you know, were three hours behind. And you remember last year when the Pac-12 tried 9 a.m. kickoffs? I mean, that well, it, they talked it was, about it. Well, ASU played at 9 a.m. to open the season it. last year. Yeah, that was just... Played USC. I don't know that they did it again after that, I don't they? think so. It's it's an early day, especially for all the uh, all the players. you got to get to the field at like 5 a.m. Imagine if Oregon when, State plays at 9 a.m. this year. We're going to be in here talking at 5 in the morning. Which we've done before. Yeah. But we've only done it when they play back in the East Coast and it's a noon game for for their team. And, and we've done... I believe three, maybe four, 5 a.m. shows over the years, but they're very rare because of an East Coast trip. To have it be here at home, that would be nuts. And fans and trying to tailgate and come down and do all that, that's just One too early. One of these early. people are tailgating and watching the sunrise. Let me ask you, what were you involved with when they played that 9 a.m. game? Did you, did you oh, have on-air responsibilities? No, that, that, this was last year. So right, okay, so as, as a fan... Were you at home, or were you oh, trying to yeah. go to the game? I was at home. Uh, yeah, I mean, if I have to drink coffee and watch the game here, it's probably early game, yes. especially a Pac-12 game. Yeah. I mean, I feel like noon kickoffs for the Pac-12. That's oh, That, that well, should be it. Not noon Eastern, noon, noon Pacific, I think, uh, should be the earliest. Because that's all the all the East Coast, that's, that's their thing. I know they're three hours ahead. Well, TV has changed it all because yeah. when your parents were, were young, because I can say that because mm-hmm. I'm in that category, <laughs> it was 1 o'clock straight up, but there was no TV coverage. So we're trading TV coverage and TV money, and it's a different world for being moved around. And I guess that's okay, but come on, throw throw the Cougars and the Beavers a bone because we've, we're, we've got long... Distances to get to from major markets, Seattle, Spokane, down to Pullman, Portland, of course, here. We've got just a number of reasons why it's no one wants the, that spot, and, and uh, it, it has to happen. Now, I believe next Saturday, it could be off by 15 minutes, but I believe it's, I believe it's the latest kickoff. 8 p.m., I saw it. Ever at Oregon State. So if you want to... 
Now I was thinking maybe eight fifteen. Show at two in the morning. Come hang out. I know. <laughs> you know. You, I'll have I'll have my caffeine ready to go. You should get calls because think about it. Uh, people are stuck in line trying to get out to the freeway to get home to Portland mm-hmm. or points beyond, and you know there's someone out there. I have my energy drink. I think oh, energy drink or coffee. I haven't decided yet. I can I'll, tell you one thing. I'll I am, probably browse Seven Eleven on my way into the office. Yeah, and I can tell you one thing. I'm not going to be up listening to you. <laughs> I didn't think so because I trust you can handle it. Number one and number two. Even if I didn't trust you can handle it, I can't handle the it. The funny thing is, normally now, especially after I've graduated college, I go to bed before midnight. Now it's crazy. I used to I used <laughs> before to, I used midnight, to, like that's I used a big to stay deal. Up at, yeah, I know, right? But I, I actually used to stay up late, so it'll be you know like uh, shaking some rust off in that area. Actually, but it'll I should, be interesting. I laugh, it's it's going to be fun, especially you know playing Hawaii. Hawaii didn't look great last week against no, uh, they did against UCLA and Chip Kelly. And maybe we'll get to talk about Chip later in the show if we get a. Yeah. A little bit of time. Yeah, but, we will yeah. because um, I want to talk about some of these other games. And, of course, last night's games, Arizona State um, looked like they didn't have any problems. I didn't watch it a lot sloppy. of it. It was sloppy. We'll get into it. They yeah, had, and they it had was, their most penalty yardage since 2007. And it wasn't great for Utah. I thought they had to work hard. It was 40-17 to 17 against Weber State, but they – they had to work hard for that yeah. to stave them off and just to get up to forty. So that wasn't uh, overly impressive. That happens though in every year in college football. Yeah, especially week one. A lot of these, you know, they they don't get to play in the preseason. Of it, there are no preseason games. So you know, you get to shake off the rust week one. It's not you know Clemson facing Georgia. No. You have to be perfect week one. That's what I but love about when, college football. When you play Southern Utah week one, if you're ASU, then you have you know you can be sloppy, but but that that's be, not that needs to be cleaned up in two weeks time when you go to play BYU. And that's not true every year. And this is a good example for Oregon State and Purdue. They both need a win, and it's two Power Five teams, two big giant conference. It's a clash. Yeah. And, and but I don't consider it overwhelming i know the beavers opened as a seven-point underdog i don't know what it is now but i don't consider this i don't look at this game like i have big you know power five versus power five games for oregon state in the past i look at this more as an opportunity to win this game i I honestly do maybe i'm completely nuts but i have a lot of confidence in oregon state winning this game and having a great season but we'll find out tomorrow. All right, we've got another hour to go. Tim Ewis at 12.05. Here. I'm appreciative, Siri. Indeed you are. Thank you. No problem. <laughs> Very nice. Thank you, Siri. Yeah, All thanks, right. Siri. <laughs> Welcome back to uh, hour number two here of the Joe Beaver Show on this Friday. Uh, Fridays on the road. See, last year wasn't a problem because uh, Mike and Jim and Ron, they did the game from... The big screen TVs in the Loge, which is the same place I did the some some of the baseball games, from the Loge at Research Stadium, <clears throat> and you've got a dark stadium. The games are at night. <laughs> They're watching on TV, and actually did a really good job. A lot of a lot of um, depending on what you're given with the television coverage. Some of those baseball games I did, it's just tough. like Tim mentioned, especially here on the West Coast. I mean. Well, you twelve baseball, and you get school kids sometimes school programs where it's kid camera people and yep. directors. That's how we and did at ASU. I had one game where 
routinely the the camera was on the pitcher and the pitcher would would pitch the ball and the camera wouldn't go to the batter it yeah and it's it's tricky because uh you know obviously at asu it's a learning it's a learning curve for everybody because you know we still had our director mark rita who ran the whole process but you know you have a student usually the most experienced one directing and then you had students on camera too you got class credit for it and you know it's a learning experience some people do want to go into production and that's mm-hmm. one great way phenomenal way it is to to gain experience doing that especially for play-by-play announcers like what i did or or color you could do both um that a great experience for that too and you you know you learn to work with all those things but i understand on your end trying to put a professional broadcast together with a bunch of people who are learning on the other side uh it's you know it's it's tricky but and <laughs> just a learning experience for all i will admit some of the camera work was it was not great um just looking we would also look at the monitors too for some things that we needed to read and the cameras just you know, jumping all over the place, and you know you can't focus. Did you? Uh, you did uh, Pac-12 Plus, though, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, we did. Yeah, and that's not student run, right? It is. Oh, it is. Ours was one hundred percent student run. Oh, okay, okay. I mean, obviously, we are using like the Pac-12 graphic. We're live on the Pac-12 website, right? But AS the Cronkite School ran all of that for at ASU at least. It's probably yeah. it's different for every school, but and I don't know that Oregon State for its internet stream coverage uses students maybe they do for a few positions but they also have paid people who are running the truck and and technical directing and a few other things so it's really good oregon state's coverage is really good i haven't seen arizona state's coverage but sounds like they did a really good job too yeah i mean for i'm frustrated that pac-12 baseball is not on television more often because it makes it obviously a much better and more enjoyable viewing experience when you can actually get all these teams on the phone. I mean, you we can talk about the SEC all we want, and, and they consistently get all of their teams on on television and on SEC Network, and all of their games look fantastic. And then you come over here to the Pac-12, and sometimes you're trying to watch a baseball game on a Friday night, and you have you know Oregon State and ASU playing, and they're both ranked, and they're both you know playing extremely well, and you have the two Friday night starters going, and you have to watch one of these you know one of these streams, or it, sometimes it's like you know it's really hard to find, and you know a frustrating part of college baseball and why it, you know sometimes struggles to grow here on the West Coast is that it's just hard to watch. You, I mean, how are you supposed to get interested in something you can't watch? Say something else. I got to get the phone. Yeah, and you know, it's just one one of the one of the things. Obviously, that's just more frustrating with me. But um, you know, I really enjoy college baseball, and you know, it's that's why it's so great when they finally everyone gets on TV and the end and the the postseason starts and everyone's on ESPN. But like during the season, it's it's so hard. Like the the Oregon State opening season and surprise. I mean, I think you can watch it on Flow Baseball now. Yeah, but uh, I mean, you have to pay for that directly. You have to buy a subscription. Um, but if you you know just want to watch it with your cable subscription, it's near impossible. And it's you know it's not a hundred percent TV. No, I, I, uh, I understand. All right, let's go to the phones because our guest, we've, we've gotten hooked up with Tim Ewis. Uh, this is the first time out with Tim on the program this year. Kind of a go-to guy, but we, cover, we can cover Beaver sports as well as high school. Are you still coaching? I, I didn't get a chance to ask you that 
earlier. I I am yeah still well I'm I'm wearing multiple coaching hats this year. Uh, Timmy, my son, is now a seventh grader. So with Pop Warner being uh, up and running again in the Valley area, where I'm I'm helping coach a seventh eighth grade Pop Warner team, which is it's actually really cool because in the past there's only been enough kids for. Uh, one Corvallis team at that level, and this year we have two. So we're starting to see kind of a, an increase of number of kids coming out to play, and then I'm, I'm still helping out of the high school. And, and so I actually the, the head ball coach at the high school stopped by and said, hey, you got to get your fingerprints done before the game tonight. So right after this, I'm heading down to get my fingerprints done. So And we're talking <laughs> CHS, right? I'm sorry? We're talking CHS. Yep, the CHS. Yep. Yeah, okay. I just yep. just wanted to clarify that. Are, are you you guys get you know locked in on your team, your players, what you're doing, maybe even the league? But can you speak to the rest of the state? I've been it's been so long, and I know there was that truncated spring season, which we'll ask you about that in a minute. But who are the favorites in the uh, in the state this year, as far as some of the top programs? Because things have changed the last couple of years. And that's a great point. Things really have changed. And then teams going between 5A and 6A and these mixed conferences. And it was really tough to get a good beat on that uh, in the in the spring season because of the way that the, the leagues were set up. Um, so, for example, a, a team like Crescent Valley – uh, didn't play a West Albany or they played their JV team or something like that. And so they tried to, uh, you know, match um, like talent up with like talent. Uh, from our league, I can tell you Dallas is going to be one of the most physical football teams. Mm. Um, they, they were very physical. They were older last year. Traditionally, a Thurston is going to be really good. But like right now, Thurston, from my understanding, is, is pretty much uh, shut down because of COVID. And Willamette was supposed to be in our jamboree, and, and they weren't ready because of COVID. And, and so um, if you have kind of COVID rip through your program, that really sets you back. And, and so as far as who the favorites are, I think maybe even a Corvallis could be a, a a contender this year hmm. just because of our vaccination rate and and then what that means for quarantine um, from my understanding. So do, I think that's a, a, a big piece of the pie. Do the kids on varsity have to be vaccinated in order to play? No, there's no vaccination requirements, uh, but what it comes down to from my understanding is if a if if there is a positive covid case they're not requiring um a quarantine and i may i may be off base on that with mm. things i mean things change every day when it yeah. comes to this but um so that essentially the more vaccinated kids you have uh the the better your probability to complete a season so Hey, Tim, it's TJ here with John. Um, so these guys obviously played in the spring. How How is that going to affect, you know, a lot of these rosters health-wise having this short turnaround 
from ending in April and now starting back up here at the beginning of September? I actually, that's a good question. I actually think it's uh, a really positive thing. Uh, so many of the kids today maybe are just football players, for example. And so uh, just the body change, I think kids were still energized, kind of coming out of the the homeschool or hybrid school at home learning program. They got around their buddies playing football, doing other sports. And then that translated into, well, the one thing we can do is still show up and be around each other and lift weights. And I, our team looks bigger and stronger than I've ever seen before. Mm. Um, just on that principle, I alone, I believe. So we almost were able to carry a lot of momentum out of that, that uh, March season into kind of summer and seven on sevens and now into fall camp and the regular season. So, uh, and, and a lot of that's based on, you know, Chris has done a great job as the head coach and, and keeping that momentum going. Did you um, get a good turnout? How is the turnout at Corvallis? The best we've ever had. Really? At freshman level. Yeah. Freshman level. We can, uh, we can actually run a practice with an offense and a defense and not, put out like garbage cans, you know, to, yeah. Hey, there's your, there's your middle linebacker, that garbage <laughs> can right there. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, there, there's a really good turnout. Uh, I know at Crescent Valley, their numbers were down last year and, and, uh, talking with Drew, their numbers are up this year. So again, I think it's an opportunity for kids to get out and play, do something physical, be outside and, uh, and have some fun doing it. Now the, 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 what you say about the the uh, the numbers for the um, Pop Warner, and then what you just said—I mean, that's all great news. But on the other end, you've got South Eugene that doesn't even have a team this year. I'm hoping—I don't know details on that. I'm hoping that's because of COVID and not because of lack of interest. Yeah, and I think that that one probably aligns more with the Thurston and the Willamette. Uh, kind of issues down in Eugene with COVID and, mm. and, and they probably just decided to pull the plug and in South has traditionally not had great numbers or it's, they're more of a soccer school and, mm. and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just, they, they haven't had great numbers in football for quite a while. Uh, but it's sad to see an entire high school just kind of scrap their program. So hopefully next year, They'll get some of that back, but um, I, I would think Thurston and Moana will at least try to um, have some type of a season this year once they can get enough players back off quarantine and healthy and ready to go. So, so. do you think there would be, you know, a sense maybe across the state as you know things are getting back into in person and, you know. No sports back on a regular schedule that intra that might cause you know collective interest across the state and get more kids enrolled in football. It, it could. I just uh, I think we have to take almost every day as a blessing that we get to continue to be out there and play because we're only one player away from having, you know, a full team quarantine on Mm -hmm. some level. Uh, And so I I think there's a lot of interest, even on my, my pop Warner team, 
Um, there's been a, a couple players that have just said, we're not comfortable with what's going on in the community with COVID right now. We can't play right now. And, and that's where I say everybody has to make that decision on their own. And it's like, well, if, if things change and you want to, you know, come back on the team, you're welcome back. Uh, but I'm certainly not going to be the one to tell a parent that um, their kid has to be out there. But I think there's enough desire um, to get kids out of the house and be active again. And as my youngest son said, I never thought I'd let my youngest son play football this early. He goes, Dad, I just really enjoy getting to hit people. I'm like, oh, <laughs> what every dad wants go. to hear. What every dad wants to hear. Wow, that's awesome. I was just sitting here thinking back how nice and how fun it's been for me because, again, I, I called games of you in high school, and here you are coaching, talking to me on this show about coaching your own son. I mean, it just time doesn't stop for anybody, does it, Tim? It does not. That is a fact. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I talk to a lot of people that are in their 70s and 80s every day, and they say, man, it, the last two years is just flowing by. Yeah. And for some people, COVID is flowing by. And for other people, it's been, you know, it feels like time slowed down. But I, I look at it, and I, you know, have a high school daughter this year. And it's like, how wow. did that ever I happen? Know. I know. And, uh, you do, you, um, do you enjoy coaching your son? Was, that, was there any trepidation there? With some parents, it, it's, it's, it's a problem. With some, it's not. What, what's that like? You know, that's a good question, and I've been very fortunate to do a lot of my, especially football coaching, with Morgan Bannister, who's a, a PE teacher up in the Albany School District, and, and uh, his son, Roy, and Timmy have been on the same teams for a number of years, and and, uh, and so Tim, I, Timmy's kind of taken a liking to defense because Morgan was uh, like a small college All-American and a very good free safety type player. And, and, uh, and so he, he kind of coaches our defense and Timmy kind of migrated there so that I think he didn't have to have dad coach him. So he still plays kind of our, our H back position. He and Roy uh, Morgan's son both kind of play the H back position. And then, uh and then he plays linebacker for Morgan, and and that's probably really healthy for our relationships. So yeah, no, I'll yeah, leave it at that. But it's it, it's good. It, uh, I've always told Morgan, like, if my son is not the best guy, don't put him out there. Never play him. Never do anything just because we're coaches. Mm -hmm. You do what you think is right. And I'll do what I think is right on my side of the ball. And that that just does not surprise me at all. And my next question, too, we've never really talked about this before in all the things we've discussed, but having played in the NFL, you've got cred. And I know with, with Zandowski and some others, there's NFL guys who are on that Corvallis staff or have been at one point or another in the last 15 years, 20 years since I've been covering Corvallis High School. And Chris does a great job. What do you think about that? Is there any, ever any time when you – because you guys are NFL guys, you know certain things. Do you ever have to keep, you know, bite your lip on stuff? Or you're a humble guy, or is it you just know, like, no, no, it's the head coach, and we we do what we we de we defer. 
Yeah, I think that that's my position on it. When I was coaching with Scott, you know, there was times that it was just we need to keep it simpler. It's like, well, you're the head coach. We'll do what you say. And I think Chris and I's relationship is like that as well. And uh, and, and it's interesting because, you know, living it every day for your whole, you know, from the time I was 18 years old to, you know, 27 28 and you're just living football every day it just kind of becomes your natural language and you don't realize that you know that maybe there's kids out here that their biggest passion in life is is just to um wear a letterman's jacket Mm -hmm. and maybe not um not fully immerse themselves in football, that they don't care as much as we do about it. We joke about that all the time as coaches. Like it means more to us than it does to them and trying to um, maintain um, some sanity around that to just say, hey, if if the kid misses a block, he misses a block. All we're looking for is effort. Yeah. And we're not we're not looking for perfection. And I think we're uh, we have to be careful as coaches, and even I found myself doing this in Pop Warner this year. Uh, this is a lot of our kids' first year ever playing football, and I'd say, hey, you know, widen your splits, and the kid just looks at me like, <laughs> what are you talking about? Whoa, what are you talking about, coach? And and you're like, yeah, just widen your splits out. You need two-foot splits. And and then you're like, do you not know what a foot is? Do you not know what two foot, you know? And they're like, no, I don't know what a split is. And you're <laughs> like, oh, okay, let's let's take it back. And, and so maybe we won't be as complex of an offense as maybe, um, you know, I look at it and I'm like, we could do all kinds of fun things. Yeah. But we have to just teach the basics and have a really good foundation first. And so I'm, I'll tell I'm you. having a blast. See yeah. the kids just learn how to use their hips, learn how to tackle properly, learn how to um, do all of these things. And so, like I said, we might not be as complex, but our kids are going to be fundamentally sound, and that's more important to me. That is, oh, I love to hear that. And I'll tell you a little little nugget of wisdom from an older guy. I didn't play football until my freshman year. But I watched it. I knew everything about every team in the NFL. It was all, I mean, I, just like every kid I knew and loved. As soon as I got out there on the field, I didn't know what they were talking about because they start to use some jargon. It's, it's a different language. And as a guy who had no problems with my social status, I, wasn't, I was confident in everything I did. I became a little, little just scared guy out on the, the field as a freshman and... I think it just can never be enough to assume that kids don't know a lot of the things that the other kids know. And then I learned it pretty quick and became an all-conference player. But that's beside the point. Nice plug. <laughs> I love it. No, but that, to your point on that, John, like, I just know that the, the team environment is a huge part of this as well. And, and you know, Coach Riley and Jay and Gary really – Gary Beck really um, kind of beat that into my head at, at Oregon State with my time with them. That uh, you know the guys have to like each other too. So it's not just about being on the on the field together and understanding the plays. So like early on in the season when it was really warm, uh, a couple of those days we brought them over one day and we we all swam in the river and had mm. doing that and had some 
competitions around that. And then like this week, just to increase that football IQ, uh, we have a projector set up outside. So, you know, parents can feel good about that. We're going to watch the Beaver game tomorrow. Oh, and fun. just do kind of a, a little pizza feed and watch the Beaver game and have some fun learning more about football and, uh, and, and then building the team up. So I think all those things are really important, even at the youth level. Wow. That's great. You're doing it right. You guys are doing it right. A couple of quick thoughts on, on the Beaver game, Oregon State, Purdue. Do you agree with me that there's just so many similarities with the programs and the, the status, the, the way their schedules set up, that this is a pretty big game for both teams? I think more is riding on the line clearly for Jeff Brom than uh, Jonathan Smith. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Uh, when you look at both teams, kind of their positions in the conference, and when you look at super conferences and some of these things that are that, – Law, depending on how they shake out, will come down to wins and losses and um, TV dollars and TV revenue. And are people going to want want to watch you on TV? So when we get a, an opportunity like this, it will really help um, Oregon State as a brand to shine. When we're talking about the, the individual coaches' jobs, um, I think there's a lot less risk for John right now. Uh, and, and as far as job security, but I mean, uh, you always have to win games to stick yeah. around. And, and this is, a you know, a cross conference. I don't want to say rivalry, but, uh, kind of a cross rivalry of the conference. Right. Right. And a big, a big game for us with, like you said, two, two programs that are very, um, similar spaces where Purdue's maybe had a little more, um, success a little bit more recent than us, but, you know, they want to try to contend to be the top of their conference, just like we do. And so it's a, it's a big game. And, and then you're talking similar markets where, uh, again, relating to those larger TV contracts and some of those things, it's going to be important to see how the Beavers play this year. Mm, no doubt, no doubt. All right, uh, TJ has the call of your game tonight, and I'm going to instruct him to get all over you when you do. What you what position are you coaching on Corvallis? Well, so this year uh, I'm just kind of going to be in the booth and be some eyes in the sky for Chris because trying to do Pop Warner and do um, the varsity level yeah. is. I can only commit to going to practice about one day a week, uh, but so I just kind of, kind of watch everything on offense at practice. And Chris has a really good staff, so I've been giving some pointers to the tight ends a little bit. And, and uh, first year we've kind of run a true tight end. So my thing is more just scheme. Is there something we can take advantage of on defense? So if if things are going really well offensively. Uh, it means that I've found something or Chris and I have found something we can take advantage of. If if we're not moving the ball very well, then Coach U.S. has not done a very good job of <laughs> trying to find something to take advantage of. So I'll just leave it at that. But. Uh, last thing uh, I'll say, Tim, yeah, I'll make sure to come say hi, if you're, especially if you're going to be up in the middle. Yeah, sure. I'll, be, I'll be up there, yeah. too. Just maybe yeah. well, I will not be yelling as much as the coaching booth will be. <laughs> 
just for That's, fun. I love I love being a booth coach because I don't really have to anybody to yell at. It's just yeah. having a conversation with Chris on what's going on down on the field, so <laughs> I can maintain some sanity. And there's no no rest to yell at, no players to yell at. Oh, how no, fun! I I think it's great. I would totally do that if I was. Uh, not doing this, that's for sure. But great to have you. Thanks for your time. We didn't expect to take this much time, but hopefully you're, everything's going well, Edward Jones. And I don't see you here for a commercial to play, so we'll have to talk about that. Well, no, I, we just signed our contract. So okay. We're, we're, uh, we're re-upping. We're going to do the Joe Beaver show, and I think we're going to try to do one of the uh, – the, the tailgate things like we've done before, Even better. depending on kind of how COVID pans out and how this current spike we're in, how quick it reduces. So, Tim Ewis, Edward Jones, and Corvallis, give them a call. There's your plug, <laughs> buddy. Thanks a lot. We, uh, I hope I, I'm, I'm expecting a good weekend. By the way, so we'll see. We'll talk to you uh, soon. Thanks, hey, man. Go, 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 Sparks, go Bees. There, there you go. go. Thanks, Tim. I'll see me. To, see you tonight. All right. Good. Take care, Tim Ewis. Wow, we got the whole half hour with Tim. Good stuff. I mean, he can speak to to college, high school, and high school. It's a, a nice change of pace because we have been hammering Beavers all week. And yeah. I guess nice to spread a little bit of love to the other football teams playing here in the Mid Valley. And we're going right back to the Beavers. And we will hear from Jonathan Smith yesterday, his uh, post-game thoughts, post-practice thoughts, getting ready for today. All right, Lee Jameson, who was on that 90 90- 67, what am I thinking? 67 giant killer (laughs) team. And was actually, I think one year, he sold his interest in Clue AM one year before I came down to Corvallis. So we missed having him be my boss by one year. Anyway, Lee Jamison coming up next here on 1240 Joe Radio. Favorite bookstore. All right, welcome back. Uh, that is uh, Dave from Tumwater. Great book, by the way. I've read it. Um, welcome back to the uh, the Joe Beaver Show. We'll be sitting in this exact same position tomorrow at noon, from noon until two, for the Tailgate Show. Myself, Doug Blair, and TJ. Are you ready for that? Oh yeah. And then uh, the football game. TJ will run things back here, and then watch the game, and host a call-in show for you, the the Beaver fan, to call in and say, why did we run that play on on third down? It would have set up. See, I can I can imagine in my head and literally act out what might I'm the vent wrong. line. Yeah, the, that's a good one. <laughs> the vent line. Now it, now it can be positive. It can be the thank goodness line. Well, venting doesn't necessarily need to be bad. I mean... I think venting by nature is a negative term because when people vent, they're yeah. usually angry. But it could be good venting. Oh, yeah, I'm like, so excited. What what a great game plan. Exactly, exactly. Let's go to our next guest, Lee Jamison. I haven't talked to Lee in a long time. I do see on Facebook, and it's fun to, to keep an eye on you. you. We missed out on one year of working together. I came here in 99, and I think you were done with Clue in 98. Is that right, Lee? Yeah, I was done right. So cool in 98. Yeah, we missed each other by a year. And uh, I remember going to the Vegas Bowl in 2003 and standing behind you while you were playing blackjack, and I was mesmerized. Not necessarily at your <laughs> skill, but I was mesmerized at the uh, 
the color of the chips you were using. Yeah, well, that was a long time ago. We don't do that anymore. <laughs> now we're uh, old and retired. Uh, we don't play like that anymore. And, uh, and, you know, 2003, that was a great Vegas Bowl. I mean, I was actually interviewing Stephen Jackson's parents mm. on the sideline and his two sisters when he scored his fifth touchdown, which is the Vegas Bowl record. Yeah. And that was his last game as in I the Beaver was, I was actually the one that got to announce that Stephen was not coming back next year and he got to go pro. <laughs> was that decision made during the game? Uh, I think he made it before the game, but he announced it after the game in Malacca. Wow, I didn't know you were a part of that. That's pretty cool. I, I was at the game. but yeah, I, I did the pre and the post, and then uh, for that game, they wanted me to do the sidelines, so I did the sidelines, too. So. Huh. I didn't know that. All right, so you were on the 67 Giant Killer team. Tell us what position you uh, played and what what do you recall from that year? Because the Beavers in Purdue have not played since then, which surprises me. Yeah, I know. It's amazing. Yeah, 54 years. Uh, I played offensive left tackle in that game. Uh, and that was a really funny week because we lost two in a row. We got beat by the... Uh, Husky six to six to thirteen two weeks before we fumbled a punt late in the game, and then in a game when we were totally flat the next week, we got beat at home by BYU, thirty-one thirteen. And whoever the Oregonian sports writer was, the Beavers mounted a attack in the first half, but the touchdown was called back on a clipping penalty on Lee Jamison oh. in the Oregonian. I'm like, that was before they even announced the lineman's name. I'm like, this is not nice. <laughs> But, uh, so the coaches, the coaches changed uh, pitch. Instead of yelling at us that week, we went to a really nice thing, and uh, you know we shortened up practices. And the uh, Gozier and Brooks didn't yell as much. And uh, we actually flew back to Purdue on Thursday for a Saturday game because we were on a Lockheed Electra. So we took that back, and the Purdue campus is so big. We actually landed at the airport in the, on the Purdue campus. Whoa. And then for a hotel, they had a hotel in their student union. So we stayed in their student union on uh, for three nights or two nights, Thursday and Friday night. And, of course, we had on those Oxford button-down shirts and yeah. the black tie with the orange OSU on it and black blazers. So we stuck out like sore thumbs in the student union. People were coming up and giving us crap about picks from the West. <laughs> you guys are no good. And one of our very good defensive linemen looked at some chick who was giving him a raft of crap. He goes, hey, we can come back here to sniff bicycle seats. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we heard Billy Maine tell a story of going to the student union um, and having their jackets on. Now, I, I don't know if there was any markers on it because he said one co-ed came up to him because it was he and a few of the linemen. I don't know. You might have been in that group on this particular night before the game. And she said, oh, well, we're excited about the game tomorrow, but we have to play lowly Oregon State, not realizing they were, you know, Beaver players and just, just said, yeah, they're terrible and we don't care about them. And and so he thought that no, was she interesting. She knew we were Beaver she knew we were Beaver players because we had our OSU ties on. That's well, all we had to wear. Well, that wasn't very nice, and and uh, you, you got to wonder and hope that they were hurting pretty bad after a loss like that. 
Well, yeah, and they just come off two weeks ago beating the number one team in the country, which was Notre Dame with uh, Hanratty and Seymour. And uh, I think Hanratty still owns the the Notre Dame record for attempts in that game against Purdue. He threw the ball 63 times. And wow. nobody threw the ball that many times back then. When but, uh, Purdue had beaten them 28-21 and moved up to number two in the country and Purdue had three All-Americans, and then Mike Phipps, who went on to be an NFL quarterback. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, they, they, they were a solid team, and you guys really put a wrench in, in what they had planned oh, they for them. We were a big underdog. Um, what, what, was the re- what happened to you on the holding call? I mean, did you get just busted big time by your, your uh, offensive line coach? No, we, you know, we just went out with a game plan, and uh, they just said, hey, here's what we're going to do. We're going to run the ball at them and see if they can stop us. And, of course, you know, give the ball to, give the ball to Buff and your earthquake. Give the ball to the earthquake. Each breach run the option, then pitch to Maine. We did that, and we won the toss, and we went down the field, and we scored the first touchdown, and believe it or not, a pass. From uh, Priest to the uh, late Roger Cantlin, and that put us up, and we never trailed the whole game. I mean, the big thing in that game was everybody wondered about the onside kick that wasn't an onside kick. Right. Right. We heard. Now, tell me if you heard this as well, that D was trying to, was it Haggerty who was the kicker? Yeah, Mike Haggerty. Yeah, D was trying to yell to Haggerty, who was a straight-on square-toed kicker. He was trying to tell him, don't kick it to, to Keys, and he couldn't hear him. And so it was one of those coach yelling, kicker not hearing, and then eventually the uh, the official saying, you have to kick it, son. And so he does, and he accidentally whiffs it. And it turns out to be an onside kick. And in the post game, the the media says to D, "What did you do that for? That's uh, a bit weird." And he said, "That's yeah, just no, good coaching." And, and the guy, the guy that first fielded the ball for Purdue, Rick Harrington, just stuck him. Yeah, and they fumbled the ball, and we got the ball. Yeah, we 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 had uh, Jimmy Kirkpatrick on the program. He was on that Purdue team. We had him on earlier this week, and. Years later, Jimmy Kirkpatrick, who was uh, an All-American at Purdue, ends up getting two degrees from Oregon State after that game, and then living in Oregon and, and making uh, you know doing a lot of, of good stuff. He said he was in an interview process with Harrington, and they, they realized each other played in that same game. And, uh, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of connecting stories between that team, those teams. I'll, I'll, and... tell, you a, I'll tell you a funny one. They had two great running backs. Uh, Leroy Keyes was a tailback, and they had a sensational fullback, uh, Barry Williams, who uh, went on to have a short pro career, but sensational fullback. And as I told you, I'm retired living in Vegas, but I play Uber driver in the morning because I need give something to do. And yeah. I actually had Barry Williams about pre-COVID, and, and I said, where'd you go to school? And he goes, Purdue. And he goes, I said, you look like you played football. He goes, yeah, I played back in the 60s. I said, what's your name? He said, Barry Williams. I said, oh, I played against you. I was on the Oregon State team that beat you in 67. And then we had a big <laughs> laugh about that. And he was really a nice guy. Wow. that I love those stories. Say, how was the rest of that car ride? Yeah. <laughs> No, that's great. That is great. Lee Jamison joining us. Lee, we got to go. Any other memories or what do you think? What do you, I know you, you, you keep 
close ties with Oregon State, and you're a huge fan and love the game of football. What do you think about what Jonathan's doing, and and uh, you know the potential for this this particular team? Well, let me just point out that I do live in Las Vegas, and I did just bet the Beavers plus seven. Okay. And I think the key is the Beaver offensive line. I think uh, the Beavers will be able to run the ball against Purdue. they got three pretty good running backs, and Jonathan will mix it up, and he'll get the ball to the wideouts when he has to. And, uh, you know, I uh, I like the Beavers. I mean, they did beat the Ducks last year, and we were supposed to be like God Almighty this year. You know, the Ducks, mm-hmm. Ducks, Ducks. But, uh, I agree. I agree. Hey, really good to, to get back in touch, Lee, and, and uh, good to know you're doing well down there in Vegas. Thanks for taking time out for us today. Hey, no problems, guys. Go All right. Beavs. All right, go Beavs. That's Lee Jamison, offensive uh, lineman on that 67 team. He's a great guy. And uh, um, a lot of good memories. He's he's retired now, but I love that story where he runs into the guy and saying, well, I played against you. And you know that in that conversation, Lee could say things that would prove that he's not just, you know, full of stories. That yeah. this guy who's driving my Uber car really was in you, that game. You do get a lot of stories from Uber, but the the small world connection yeah. of that, it, it's so random, but just so cool as well. You're like, oh. That is, wow. yeah, that's fun. That's fun. All right, we uh, will be right back. More of the Joe Beaver Show. Don't forget, we've got the University Haunted text line, 541-497-5356. Also, uh, call in uh, now that we're done talking with uh, with folks on the uh, Downward Dog phone line. Same number, 541-497-5356. We will uh, be on the air at noon tomorrow, so this might be your last opportunity to just get a thought in or even a prediction for the Beavers and Purdue. Back by Highland Bowl on 9th Street in Corvallis or log on to highlandbowl.com. I think I think we're going to keep you. I think we're going to keep you. Things are working out pretty well here on the oh, Joe Beaver show. Well, that's good. So you get it's to good live. To hear. You get to live. It's good to hear. I like being able to eat. <laughs> I know. Uh, you were out of practice yesterday. It, it, a lot I I've heard all of these these answers and it's pretty standard stuff there's nothing ever really shocking um but nonetheless people like to hear so let's play jonathan smith from the end of yesterday's practice before the team took off for uh, west lafayette uh sometime this morning here here's uh, yesterday's jonathan smith end of week conversation with the media before they they play in a game well, two days away from game day, what's the anticipation level like in the in the locker room? Yeah, guys are uh, definitely excited, uh, knowing we still got a few details to continue to clean up, take advantage of the next two days, but practice today. I thought it was sharp, focused, um, and uh, yeah, guys are getting, getting ready. I asked the guys yesterday, how significant would it be for this team to get not only a win week one, but a win against a Big Ten program? Yeah, all of them. I mean, all of that is, is important. And again, it's our first opportunity to go out and play. And that's how we're going to approach it. Every game that we get to play is uh, vitally important and can add momentum, no question. And then we're going to be back to work on Sunday, uh, the day after, prepping the same way, really, for the next one. 
Did Sam seem more relaxed this week now that the burden of that quarterback battle is off his shoulders and he could just focus on running with the ones yeah. and executing? I, you know, I didn't see a drastic change in kind of his approach, how he's playing. I think he's played solid. Um, I think he's getting himself prepared. All those guys continued to get reps. Um, but I, I do think that uh, you know, feels confident with the plan. Uh, and he looked good this week. You mentioned on Monday that you're going to be monitoring, monitoring guys like Elijah and Addison throughout the week. What have you seen from them? Or are they going to be good to go? Yeah, there's a you know, short amount of guys that I guess we're monitoring every guy. But, you know, some of those guys have gotten some reps and uh, want to have them as fresh as possible the weekend. We've done that with a few guys and uh, for the most part feel pretty healthy. What do you tell the young guys about just some of these guys making their first ever college road trip, just the logistics of keeping your body right, making sure you're prepared for the game? Yeah, so we're talking about that leading up, really starting out critical 48 hours they're headed into. Uh, obviously over communicate the schedule and what they can expect and what the expectations are. And, and also reminded them this is why they chose to play college football, to be able to go in a stadium, atmosphere, fans, uh, compete, uh, and to enjoy that process. The running back room, you're going to kind of rotate between the three guys. I guess, how have they looked this week just in game prep? And, I mean, I know they're still competing against one another, but now that goal has kind of shifted to helping your team on the field. Yeah, they've been helping each other. I, they've been great teammates with it, rotating carries. And, you know, we've got a few particular plays for individual guy, but the most of it, all three, can uh, can operate what we're calling. And uh, they've had a good work, uh, week of work. Will Tegan be ready to go for Saturday? Is he going to be playing? Yeah. Yeah, had a good week. Now you said earlier that you're going to be kind of locking down things on the, on the protocol front as you start to travel. What does the game prep look like as opposed to maybe last year? Is it is it still locked down as much? Or uh, It's pretty similar. I mean, we're going to get on a, an airplane, and there'll be protocols and bus rides and airplanes just like last year was. Um, and guys have been really good about you know trying to follow everything, take every precaution they can. Uh, and so it'll be close to normalcy in regards to, you know, how we uh, have fans in the stands and eat meals together and things. At the same time, there'll be some additional protocols that are similar to last year. And you would say you guys are in overall in a good spot health-wise? Yeah, yeah, feel good. Uh, majority of the group and a couple guys coming back. I've mentioned Tegan and things. And, and so uh, I like the group we're taking over there. Is it is it a little too early to start having convos with guys about possible red shirting when do you start to have those kind of conversations about yeah you know we had some uh, when camp ended on a few guys uh again now with the rule you can play four games still red shirt that's still uh, a moving target on some guys and so uh we're taking a good group over there and not every single guy uh, potentially will play um, but that doesn't mean they won't play down the road this season game one you're gonna toss on that headset you're gonna be in a loud stadium do you get pregame nerves anymore? I mean, I know there's the excitement of the game, yeah. but... Yeah, yeah, it's exciting, you know, and it goes into you prepare as well as you can. And then you, you go enjoy it and, and do the best you can in the game. And, and that not just for myself, coaches, players, all the same. But uh, we work too hard not to enjoy these Saturdays. Now, with your families, coaches, players, do you know if there are going to be any families in attendance making the trips? I know last year that really wasn't an opportunity. Yeah, I believe we're going to have some players' families there for sure uh, making the trip out and be able to watch them in person, which was some of the what was tough about last year. So I know we, we've got a good contingent going over. 
And last year, because of, I guess, the, the distance, the testing, all of that, remember you talked a little bit about how the mental fatigue, I guess, how do you think the team's feeling going into it? I mean, I know it's kind of refreshing in a way, but just yeah. having that normal-ish, I guess, yeah. return. I, refreshing is a great term. I think the guys are uh, excited about the opportunity to play in front of families, in front of fans, different than last year. Um, and so it, it's fun to even hear that, you know, potentially this thing sold out of that, that kind of energy. So it's obviously we're going to handle, need to handle that. Um, but that's, a, again, part of the good part of college football. It's so nice to see Jake Luton back in the Pacific Northwest. I, I know that, yeah. I know, it's kind of yeah, swapping Oregon State quarterbacks. but uh, <laughs> Yeah, yep, that was interesting. We we're definitely excited uh, for him and a lot of those guys that ended up making teams. And can't wait to watch him on Sundays. Thanks, guys. Thank you. You know, that's funny. I, I forgot about that story. Um Mannion or Luton for Mannion. Yeah, Mannion Somebody got waved. Somebody in Luton your world, and I don't want to generalize you too much. I used to generalize Josh because Josh is such a numbers guy, data and all, and it's it, it was fun. We did a lot of back and forth with that. Josh, you understand. But to the younger generation, more into numbers and stuff and mm-hmm. being able to pull things up, somewhere, somehow – Somebody knows if a guy from one school was replaced by another guy from the same school in the NFL, much like the Luton Mannion thing. Probably not very often, but somewhere there's there's obviously records of things. But it would take a lot of pouring through those records to find that. Yeah, I mean, some people, I don't know, especially <laughs> like just NFL people or college people, like they will they what can notice the it right. They'll they will notice it right away. Yeah, what are the odds? Yeah. All right, let's get our last break in, and then we'll come back and say goodbye for today, but get ready for... Premierflorist.com, Stargazer Premier Florist, 925 Northwest Circle Boulevard in Corvallis. Okay, we have exactly two minutes. I want to talk to you, TJ, about last night's Arizona State game and and the other games. I mean, the lineup tomorrow, we'll go over all of this uh, tomorrow on the Tailgate Show, including the bowl lineup, which we've done here before, but we'll we'll do that and then recap uh, games. You've got Colorado and Northern Colorado tonight to watch. Uh, we, TJ and I, will be involved in high school football, mostly TJ, out at uh, at Corvallis High School, and um, and I'll be here in studio. But what's the latest on the issues with Arizona State's coaching staff and the impropriety there? Is, uh, is that still going? Is there going to be a fall at some point, or is it going to just go away i think it's up in the air at this point because the ncaa it's really there's been a lot of they haven't been there hasn't been like a set like punishment that they've doled out for these kind of things some programs i can't remember any off the top of my head just you know can roll right through it because i don't know remember north carolina with basketball they they had i think they had paper classes and it was proven they had paper classes and they just you know walked right away with it what's the arizona state feeling of herm edwards right now uh, I think it's still overall positive because he has just brought a new energy. He's done a in great terms job of recruiting, and you see with the hype with this team this year, a lot of people pick him to win the South. That's why over it was, USC. and that's why it was so surprising to have problems. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, no, Herm, say it ain't so. Yeah, kind of a deal. It's it's frustrating too because there's so much talent on this roster, and you just fear. What would happen? What could be the fallout if you know he he goes? Yeah. But for you, Oregon State fans, see that Arizona State team here second last week of the season. 
they have some guys. And those running backs, Demonte Trainum, Rashad yeah. White, Daniel Ngata, those are three NFL guys they have back there, and they showcased him last night. Great. All right, our thanks to Tim Newton, play-by-play of uh, Purdue, Lee Jamison, and Tim Ewis. Great show today, everybody. We didn't hear from anybody much on the on the line. Curtis did a prediction. See if I can get in there real quick. He says 35-28. Beavers, have a great day. Here's the microphone. This is KEJO Corvallis. Everybody hear me? We're on in five. And QID. 1240.